I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Exodus. We'll be looking this morning at Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 through 35. If you have not brought a Bible with you, uh, our passage this morning is found on page 51 in the Pew Bible in the Pew Racks in front of you, page 51 in the Black Pew Bibles. We come this morning to the seventh plague. It is the the plague of hail. And we also come to the beginning of the third cycle of three plagues. I've not really talked about this in past sermons, but most scholars see uh, three cycles of three plagues with the first nine of the ten plagues. And they're all marked by different things. Plagues one, four, and seven all have Moses rising early in the morning and going to Pharaoh either outside or at the water Plagues 2, 5, and 8 then have Moses go into Pharaoh, the Lord directs him. And plagues 3, 6, and 9 all begin with no warning. So there's a parallel in uh, these three cycles, if you will. Plagues 1 to 3 are all instituted with, initiated with Aaron's staff. In plagues 4 to 6, there is no staff. And in plagues 7 and 9, it is either with Moses' staff or Moses raising his hand. And so this is uh, how uh, scholars see and and break these down. These are how the plagues seem to be uh, organized. So we come to the the third set of three plagues here, uh, the, the seventh plague, the plague of hail. And this is the longest and most extensive of all the plagues. So hear God's word, uh, beginning in Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself And on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth." You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. 
But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never had been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you will stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hand to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are laid in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, And he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. And thus far, God's holy word, may he write its truth on our hearts this morning. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh God, you tell us that your word goes forward and it will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. So, O God, we ask that as your word is read and preached this morning, that you will accomplish your purposes for it in all of our hearts and in all of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The key verse in our passage this morning is verse 16. That is also, by the way, quoted in Romans chapter 9, verse 17 where God says, for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. For this purpose, I have raised you up. Now, not too long ago, I, in, in a sermon a few months back, I made the point that God's chief end, if we can put it that way, is to glorify himself. God brings glory 
to himself. We see this in a number of scripture passages. Isaiah chapter 48, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, he repeats, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And we see this phrase repeated in Ephesians chapter 1. We have been chosen, we have been adopted, etc., to the praise of God's glorious grace, for the praise and glory of God. Our salvation is for God's glory. And so when we read in the Westminster Shorter Catechism that man's chief end is to glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. That's only because, first and foremost, God should be glorified because of who he is. And indeed, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And indeed, in one sense, we can say this, not all will enjoy God. But all, in some sense, will glorify, whether it be in salvation or whether it be in judgment. God will be glorified in all that he does. And that's what we see here with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's rebellion brings glory to God. It brings glory to God. That's what God says here in verse 16. For this purpose, I have raised you up, Pharaoh, to glorify myself. For this purpose, to show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. I've raised you up, Pharaoh, for this, so that I would receive glory. This is your purpose in life, Pharaoh, to bring glory to me. And, of course, it's, in one sense, by his disobedience. It's his rebellion to uh, the, the, the commands of God. Now, I want to really just focus our attention this morning on these two statements and see how the rest of this passage focuses uh, or brings together uh, or uh, elaborates on these two statements here in In verse 16, I have raised you up to do two things, to show my power and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So first of all, he's raised Pharaoh up to show his power. And here we see God's power in all its devastating glory in this seventh plague. Many of you are familiar with what is called the perfect storm. Uh, You may even have seen the movie or read the book, The Perfect uh, Storm. The perfect storm took place off the coast of New England. In fact, our first son, Leo, was born four weeks early during the perfect storm uh, up up in New England, up in Boston. 
But the, the perfect storm was the convergence of three weather events, a warm, warm air from a low-pressure system and from one direction, then a flow of cool and dry air from a high-pressure system from another direction, and then tropical moisture provided by Hurricane Grace. Now, none of these by itself was significant, but they all came together to produce this, quote, perfect storm. And here we have an incredible storm that is striking, that God brings on on Egypt, that strikes the people of Egypt. In fact, the text tells us here that there is, has been nothing like it in Egypt's history. Nothing like it in, in the 18 centuries that Egypt has existed before this time. In fact, hail was rare in Egypt. It would only happen possibly twice in, in, in two months, and even that would be, would be mild. But here we have this intense hail. It is devastating in the land of Egypt. And our text begins once again with with Moses confronting Pharaoh. God tells him to go and say to Pharaoh in verse 13, Let my people go that they may serve me. And look at what he says in, in verse 14. This time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people. I will send all my plagues on you and your people. Literally, the text says here, uh, when the ESV translates, I will send my plagues on yourself, literally the Hebrew says, I will send it on your heart. And Dr. Currid points out that Pharaoh's heart was seen in the land of Egypt as the all-controlling factor in Egyptian history and society. So he's sending the plagues against his heart, and he's sending all my plagues, the full force of his power here, against Egypt in this plague. God is the one who controls all things. Not Pharaoh, the all-controlling one. Not Pharaoh. God brings his control. He brings devastation. We see the destructive nature of beasts and crops and even people destroyed, we see here. The first plague where we see even people who are out in the field during this plague, dying the first of the plagues where people are dying because of the plague. Egypt had never seen hail. It had never seen a storm like this. In part because they'd never faced a God like this. The all-powerful Almighty God, incomparable in his majesty. Look with me at the flow of verses 15 
through 17. God says in verse 15, by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. I could have already struck you down, Pharaoh. But 16, for this purpose I have raised you up to show my power, to demonstrate my power, and that my name might be proclaimed, my name might be exalted. I could have cut you off, but I have raised you up for this purpose, to exalt me. But then look at verse 17. You are still exalting yourself, Pharaoh. I've raised you up to exalt me and to show my power, and you are exalting you, Pharaoh. After all this devastation, after the fact, Pharaoh, that I have not treated you as your sins deserve, you are Exalting yourself and exalting yourself over my people. Pharaoh's pride. Of course, pride goes before a fall, and we're going to see a devastating fall as we continue on in our text. Great pride. Nietzsche, famous German philosopher, famously said, if there is a God... How can I bear not to be that God? Of course, Pharaoh thinks he is the God, the ruler, supreme in all of creation. The one true living God is showing that he is not. Verse 18, we see that the hail comes on God's timing. It is... Unprecedented uh, on God's timing. Tomorrow, verse eighteen, we see in the in the verses that follow that it is unprecedented. Nothing like this has ever happened in the past, and never happened since. And we see that it brings great destruction. Look at verse twenty-five. The hail struck down everything that was in the field. In all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Now that is devastating. That is devastating. This was a plague that was against Pharaoh, but it also showed that God was supreme over Egypt's gods. We've seen this in previous Plagues that God is triumphant over the different gods, quote, gods of Egypt. And here we have several sky gods in Egypt that God shows his supremacy over. We've got Shu, the god of the atmosphere, who supposedly was the, the god who held up the heavens. We have Newt, the sky goddess, who represented the vault of heaven. We've got Tefnut, the goddess of moisture, and a few others. But he is showing that he alone is God. He's supreme over the gods. But we also see in verse 29 that he shows that the the earth is the Lord's. 
The earth is the Lord's. He made it. He rules it. He can do what he wants with it. In fact, in verse 22, the word that's used for the the plant, every plant in the field, the Hebrew word there is actually a relatively rare Hebrew word. But it is also the language, the word that's used in Genesis chapter 1, 11 and 12, where God created the plants of the field. God is destroying the very thing that he created. God made it, and God can do what he wants with it, creating for his own glory. Scripture tells us the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs to him. He uses it as he sees fit. He builds it up. He destroys. He does as he chooses. Whatever brings him glory. We also read in Scripture and several times in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is what God is seeking to build. To build in Pharaoh, perhaps, though that will not happen. Though we, as we'll see in a minute, it happens with some in Egypt. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, certainly for God's own people to, to truly fear him. Ed Welch points out that fear in the Bible can be seen on a continuum. Fear can be terror, it can be dread, but it can be astonishment, it can be awe, it can be reverence, and it can also lead to worship. And that's the kind of fear of the Lord that we need to have. A proper fear, a proper awe, a proper reverence, an astonishment at what God does. Moses needed to learn this fear of the Lord. His first, his his introduction to it was at the burning bush, I think. But he needed to to learn it in chapter 4 when he was almost put to death because his son was not circumcised. And Moses has continued throughout his ministry, to learn this fear of the Lord. But, you know, we need to learn it more as well. The proper fear of the Lord. Proper and holy reverence of the Lord day by day. I think that's something lacking in so many professing Christians today. There's a love, there's a joy but it's lacking this proper reverence and holy fear of the Lord. We need to pray for that in our lives. So first of all, we see to show God's power that there might be true fear of him. But secondly, we see that his name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 
We see that in, again, verse 16, the second half, 16b. Again, Dr. Currid, the word proclaimed, he says, was, is associated with worship. He gives it this definition. It means to give praise and a recounting of the greatness of God. So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth, to be worshipped, to give praise, to, to recount his greatness. What goes hand in hand with this worship of God is an evangelistic purpose being proclaimed in all the earth. An evangelistic purpose. Notice that God does not bring simply one plague or two plagues. He brings ten plagues on Egypt. He could have gone right to the death of the firstborn, plague number one. That probably would have been it. But the ten highlight his power. His people remember. One perhaps would be forgotten. One perhaps would be misinterpreted, but not ten. This is God's power at work. And the result of this is that many Egyptians, or at least some Egyptians, were saved. We have a hint of it here in verses 19 and 20. That some, in verse 20, Egyptians feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh. They feared him. They, they got their, their animals in because the hail was, was coming. We're also going to see, I won't ask you to, to turn there now, but we're also going to see in Exodus chapter 12 that when the Israelites are, are leaving Egypt, many others, that would be including Egyptians, went with them at the Exodus. Egyptians are, are saved. We, we see in, in the prophets, Jeremiah chapter 46, there's going to be a, quote, restoration of Egypt. Ezekiel chapter 29, God restores the fortunes of Egypt and brings them back from exile. But the most striking is in Isaiah chapter 19. You can go back and read this later this afternoon, that there is an altar to Yahweh in Egypt. They know and they worship God, and God even states there, blessed be my people Egypt. And of course, on the day of Pentecost... Who's there listed in Acts chapter 2? Egyptians. People from Egypt. And it probably all began here with these plagues and with the exodus. God's name is being proclaimed. There's an evangelistic purpose. He's also, he also has renown among the nations, if you turn over to Exodus chapter 15, or just listen as I read verses 14 and 15, Exodus 15, 14 and 15, the peoples have heard, this is the song of Moses, after the Exodus and after the, the Egyptian army is wiped out, the peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia, 
Now the chief, now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Word is getting out. An evangelistic purpose. In Joshua chapter 9, when the Israelites go in to take the promised land, the Gibeonites speak of, quote, the fame of the Lord and all that he did in Egypt. And later in the Old Testament, we read the Philistines cry out that the gods of Israel who struck the Egyptians with plagues are on the side of the Israelites. God comes in judgment, but God also displays his glory in rising up a people to praise him. Of course, this is part of his mission to the nations, that God be praised. God be praised and worshipped. And here we see the two sides. God's redemption is both for worship, but also for mission. God saves us to make him known, to make his great deeds, to make his great person known. So what does God do here with these plagues on Egypt? He brings judgment. He brings redemption. But he also brings proclamation. Judgment. Redemption. Proclamation. That my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Finally, of course, salvation requires repentance. I want to look at verses 27 and following. Pharaoh sends and calls Moses and Aaron to him. And he says, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Sounds like repentance. But notice here he says, this time I have sinned. This is plague seven, buddy. He makes light of his sin. What he does is he grieves its effects, not the sin itself. He goes on in verse 28, plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. He asked Moses to to pray for him. And Moses, of course, by this time knows enough to be skeptical. Verse 30, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. And Pharaoh ultimately does not turn from his sin. For this purpose, I have raised you up. It's not going to be for your salvation, Pharaoh. But it still is to glorify God. To reveal God's power. To reveal God's glory. But in judgment. And this is how God reveals himself. He reveals himself in history all for his glory, both in the salvation of his elect and in the judgment of those who do not believe. Why, as verse 14 puts it, 
so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. We serve an incomparable God who alone is worthy of our worship. Let's pray. Our God, how we thank you for your mighty power. How we thank you for your sovereign rule. How we thank you, O God, that you indeed are Lord of lords. You are King of kings. You are the ruler of human hearts. And now we thank you, O God, that in your grace and mercies, you have drawn us and you all of your saints to yourself, that we might be spared from judgment because the Lord Jesus Christ took that judgment on himself. And so, O God, we come to you to rejoice, to give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.